Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and this is episode number 34 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we are going to be talking about a classic attraction at the Magic Kingdom. And I don't just mean any old classic attraction, I mean one of the first attractions that comes to mind when you mention the Magic Kingdom or mention Walt Disney World or Disneyland or the Disney parks to just about anybody, whether they go to Disney often or not, and that is the world-famous Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course, the first Pirates attraction to open was over at Disneyland uh, before the Walt Disney World even opened its doors, but in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Magic Kingdom version of this attraction, and I'll allude to and talk a little bit, of course, about some of the other Pirates of the Caribbean attractions around the world. Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of history about the uh, how Pirates of the Caribbean came to be, some of the background and details, things you might not have known before about this this classic attraction, which is just rich with so many details and so much history. We'll, of course, ride Pirates of the Caribbean together, thanks to some 360-degree binaural audio. And then at the end of the show, we'll come back and I'll tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all of our social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. Pirates of the Caribbean first opened at the Magic Kingdom on December 15, 1973. It was the second Pirates of the Caribbean attraction built, with the first, of course, being opened and built at Disneyland, which opened on March 18, 1967. And since the opening at the Magic Kingdom, there have, of course, been other versions of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, which have opened at Tokyo Disneyland, which debuted on April 15, 1983, at Disneyland Paris, which opened on April 12th, 1992, and Shanghai Disneyland, which opened the most recently on June 16th, 2016. Of course, Pirates of the Caribbean is a super popular and iconic boat ride attraction that transports guests to a time when pirates roam the seven seas in search of buried treasure, often pillaging towns and just making an absolute mess for the townspeople to clean up. 
the attraction has also helped to inspire the multi-billion dollar Pirates of the Caribbean movie, movie franchise, uh, which then helped to inspire some of the changes with the attractions. In fact, if you go to the version at Shanghai Disneyland, that Pirates of the Caribbean is completely based off of the movies. I encourage you to look it up on YouTube because it is an incredible attraction. If you can't make it to Shanghai, definitely check out a video of it. It is the most innovative Pirates of the Caribbean attraction ever built. And again, it's completely based off of that multi-billion dollar movie franchise still going on today. Um, and it was also one of the final attractions that Walt Disney personally supervised, which opened just three months after his passing. But believe it or not, Walt originally had a completely different idea in mind for the, what this attraction would be like. Originally, Walt had an idea for a walk-through wax museum. You heard me right. Guests would walk through various rooms and see wax figures of pirates and other people of, uh, of the age uh, of Pirates of the Caribbean. And that was Walt's original idea for what this attraction would be like. However, uh, the Imagineers argued with Walt that a walkthrough exhibit really just wasn't that practical and would actually be rather difficult to manage in a theme park setting. And so the Imagineers would be unable to completely control how the guests experience the exhibits and thus just lose out on an element of storytelling and, of course, the overall operations of knowing how long people would take to get through the exhibits. And it just it would be overall a, a little bit of a mess for the Imagineers to design and then to actually uh, operate for the cast members to operate in the park itself. And because of the success of uh, the It's a Small World boat ride at the 1964 World's Fair, the Imagineers suggested creating a similar attraction for Pirates of the Caribbean. And they also suggested turning the wax figures into audio animatronics, which were made popular by other World's Fair attractions like Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln uh, and the Carousel of Progress Theater, which were, of course, other attractions that Walt had created and also had seen some great success with the introduction of that new technology, the audio animatronic figures. Um, so on January 21st, 1968, more than a year after Walt's passing, an episode of World of Color debuted on television that introduced this attraction to the world. In the episode, which I love because it was written by Disney legend and Imagineer Marty Sklar, a very, very famous Imagineer who worked on every Disney park around the world, uh, Walt Disney introduced Disneyland ambassador Julie Reen to New Orleans Square and to what he called the Blue Bayou Lagoon, describing how guests would board a boat, ride down a waterfall, and travel back into the past to the time of the pirates. And at the end, after going through the town, Guests would then travel back up a waterfall to get back to the present day. Uh, the episode that it debuted on the World of Color TV show then continued to describe how the attraction was built and designed by the Imagineers and what the final experience would be like. Uh, if you have access to be able to check out this episode of World of Color, definitely take a look because it does showcase and show the Imagineers actually working on building this attraction. Very, very cool TV show episode to discover and to watch. Um, now, speaking of the Imagineers, there are actually some classic Imagineers who were brought to the table to help to design this attraction. Most notably, perhaps you might recognize these names, the Imagineers who worked on this attraction included Mark Davis, Claude Coates, Yale Gracie, and Blaine Gibson. 
Some of these names might sound familiar. Uh, so some of these, again, Imagineers include animator Mark Davis, who worked on attractions like the Enchanted Tiki Room, It's a Small World, The Haunted Mansion, and even The Jungle Cruise. Claude Coates, who was also an artist, worked on attractions like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White's Scary Adventures, and even up until his retirement, he worked on Horizons, which of course is an attraction that this podcast episode aligns very closely with, and this podcast in general aligns very closely with, um, and is one of my favorites having uh, grown up going to Disney in the early 90s. Um, he also, I'm sorry, we also have other Imagineers like Yale Gracie. Um, you might recognize Yale Gracie sounding a lot like Master Gracie. Um, he was a layout artist for the movie Pinocchio, and he also helped design Pirates of the Caribbean and, not surprisingly, The Haunted Mansion. And then there's Blaine Gibson, who is a famous sculptor. Whether or not you know who Blaine is, you have absolutely seen his work. He's helped design the animatronics for The Hall of Presidents, The Great Movie Ride. He also helped design the famous partner statue that you can find over at the Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. So next time you pass it, be sure to thank Blaine because he was responsible for the sculpture that is the very famous partner statue. And as I said, he really helped design just about every famous audio animatronic figure um, from your childhood at many of the Disney parks at uh, Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom and uh, the rest of Walt Disney World. Meanwhile, there were two other artists who were working on a theme for the attraction that would, of course, later catch the entire world by storm. And while many believe the two musicians were Richard and Robert Sherman, Sherman Brothers were actually not at the helm for the music. Instead, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, was actually written by George Bruns and Xavier Atencio. So you can thank the two of them for writing Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, which of course gets stuck in everybody's head at the end of the attraction um, or even at the end of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, other famous contributors to the attraction included voice actors Paul Freeze, who you may know as the ghost host at the Haunted Mansion, and Thurl Ravenscroft, who also worked at the Haunted Mansion. He was the, uh, if you know the busts in the graveyard, he was the that main bust who kind of looks like Walt uh, singing in the graveyard. He was also the voice of Tony the Tiger. So Thurl Ravenscroft, Paul Freese, two very famous voice actors who were original voice actors for this attraction. In the current version, they're still there, but you also have some modern voice actors, including Corey Burton, who did the safety, who now does the safety spiel for Pirates of the Caribbean. D. Bradley Baker, who is a very famous voice actor, does a lot of uh, animal voice acting, um, and he did the talking parrot for Pirates of the Caribbean. And then, of course, with the changes that came to the attraction after the movies, we have movie celebrities that include Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Rush, uh, Je Jeffrey Rush rather, and Bill Nye, who really reprised their roles as the uh, as of course Jack Sparrow, uh, Barbosa, and Davy Jones. And of course, while Disneyland's attraction was the first, as I said, today's episode is going to instead focus on the Magic Kingdom's version. Now, not surprisingly, Pirates of the Caribbean was wildly popular in Disneyland. So when Walt Disney World was being built, it would seem almost instinctive that Disney would want to build another Pirates of the Caribbean attraction there as well. However, there was this general feeling that because Florida was so close to the Caribbean, that guests traveling there, and of course even the Florida locals, would really have little interest in a Caribbean-based attraction. Why would they want to 
go on an attraction based on the Caribbean, if they could just go to the Caribbean in just a couple of hours by plane or, um, you know, even just drive down to the Keys, why would guests in Florida want to have a Caribbean based attraction? It'd almost be like having a California based attraction or a park in the state of California. <laughs> but as a result, um, when the Magic Kingdom opened in 1971, Pirates of the Caribbean was not to be found. It was not a part of the list of the attractions. However, Disney found very quickly that many guests were looking for it in the park and were disappointed to find it not there. So the Imagineers acted quickly and worked on a Magic Kingdom version of the attraction. And although the Magic Kingdom version is half the length and includes only one drop instead of two and has a few additional differences, many guests still find it to be one of the most iconic attractions at Walt Disney World. When I first went to Disneyland, I was amazed at how much grander that attraction is compared to the Magic Kingdom. But still, the Magic Kingdom's version is one of my favorites and is something that I have so many memories of riding as a kid, as an adult. Uh, it's just one of my favorite attractions, even to this day. And in the Magic Kingdom version, guests approach a Spanish fort, the Castillo del Moro, which is inspired by, and pardon my poor Spanish accent, but the uh, Castillo de San Felipe del Moro and Old San Juan, Puerto Rico. In my opinion, the queue for the Magic Kingdom version is awesome. I actually like the queue for Magic Kingdom more than I do for Disneyland. Um, it's because guests just wind through the fort. They get to, in order to get to the boat docks, to pass through supplies, cannons, and of course, uh, one of my favorite parts is a pair of skeletons in a jail cell who seem to be stuck on a stalemate uh, at a game of chess, which is just so funny. Um, it's a little bit tragic, but also uh, a little bit of humor in there. And that was something that I believe Mark Davis actually decided to put in there as sort of this gag uh, as part of the uh, parts of the Caribbean queue. And then from there, you know, guests board the boats and they float through a cavern that echoes dead men tell no tales. And after seeing a skeleton at the helm of a ship in a storm, uh, guests plummet down a waterfall back in time. Although there are some alternate theories out there that say you don't go back in time, you actually go into a pirate's dream. Um, however, again, it's going back to that original World of Color TV show. Uh, Walt Disney does talk about going back in time. So I like to believe that you really are going back in time uh, to the time of the pirates. And then we, we then find ourselves literally in the middle of a cannon battle between a pirate ship and a Spanish fort. We pass by unharmed, although maybe a little wet, and enter the town where we see pirates wreaking havoc, dunking the mayor into a well to see if he'll give up information, auctioning off brides, and almost literally burning the city to the ground to find the buried treasure. We then at the end of the attraction see a group of pirates taken prisoner, trying to coax the watchdog to give up the keys so that they can get loose, at which point we disembark and head back up the ramp to Adventureland. Of course, this was the original version of the attraction, and several changes have taken place since then. But one thing I will point out about the general story is how the pirates are portrayed. Of course, if you think about real historical pirates, uh, in many cases they were vicious, cruel, murderous, and really not role models for kids. But Walt Disney solved this problem by portraying the pirates as grown-up kids who just really didn't know any better. Much like a group of young children or puppies, if you leave them unsupervised at home, they might wreak havoc in your own house. So ultimately, pirates pay the price and at the end of the attraction, end up in prison, which is actually kind of a lesson for kids that there are consequences to maybe having a little too much fun. So it is an interesting sort of idea to have 
concept like pirates in a Walt Disney attraction with kids that are going to be riding it, but they did really kind of shift that portrayal of the pirates just a little bit to showcase them as uh, almost like kids themselves who are just having a little bit too much fun. But again, at the end, they end up in prison. They're punished for their bad behavior. And that sets itself as almost a moral for kids uh, that you do need to behave and you don't want to go off and have a little too much fun because you will pay the consequence in the end. So that does make it a little bit more of a family-friendly attraction. Now, as I said, there were some changes that were made to Pirates of the Caribbean since its original version that did open in 1973. And of course, at Disneyland in 1967. Um, in the original attraction, if you think about the middle of the ride, there were pirates that were chasing the women around the town. In 1997, it was switched to the reverse, with the women of the town actually chasing the pirates out with brooms, pots, and pans, so as if the pirates invaded their home, and then the women of the town were saying to themselves, we've obviously got to chase them out, so they grab pots, pans, brooms, and uh, are chasing the pirates around to get them out of their town. And then in 2006, there was a new version of the Pirates of the Caribbean with a major refurb that opened at both Walt Disney World and Disneyland that were then going to include the famous characters from the successful Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which included Davy Jones, Jack Sparrow, and Hector Barbosa. And as I said, the voice actors for those animatronics were actually the actors who portrayed Davy Jones, Jack Sparrow, and Barbosa in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And instead of searching for buried treasure, the captain of the ship, Barbo Barbosa, and the pirates were instead searching for Jack Sparrow, who held the map to the town's treasure room. The Imagineers also updated the ride lighting, audio, and effects to give it a little bit of a refresh, update some of those effects, and make it more of a modern attraction. They also updated some of the animatronics, but for the most part, the ride itself did feel very much like its classic version, just with some updated changes. And then in 2011, the Davy Jones projection was mixed with the projection of Blackbeard for the release of Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. And they even included some mermaid sequences, which were soon removed uh, more recently, um, singing that song, uh, Jolly Sailor Bold, from the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides movie. And then in 2017, told you there were a lot of changes, the talking skull that was originally removed from the Magic Kingdom was put back into place and turned into a photo pass opportunity for the attraction. So now every time lightning strikes in the cavern, that's actually the flash of a camera taking your photo for photo pass. So keep that in mind, especially if you have Memory Maker at Walt Disney World, your picture is being taken before you plunge down that waterfall. So be sure to pose for the camera, stare at the uh, skull or do whatever you want when that lightning strikes before you go down that drop. And then most recently in 2018, the auction scene was changed along with the famous redhead who has since become one of the auctioneers at the attraction. Originally, she was one of the brides being auctioned off that famous redhead, but more recently has been given more of a powerful role and is one of the auctioneers that is, instead of auctioning off brides, auctioning off rum and other supplies, and uh, she's really taking charge of that whole auction scene and is turned into a really fierce pirate who, I know there's a lot of controversy around this, but I really like her because I think that she does embody a little bit of that Elizabeth Swan personality. She's a strong pirate who's going to take control um, and seize her opportunity to kind of lead the pirates as they 
take charge of the town. So I personally like it. I know a lot of people miss the old redhead, which I can understand because it is very nostalgic, but uh, that was the most recent change. I'm sure as we move into the future, there will likely be other changes. It is one of those attractions that is constantly involving, and that's partially because it is a classic, and a classic does deserve some upkeeping and maintenance to make sure that it does maintain that classic spot in the Disney universe. So at this point, now that you've learned a little bit of the facts and the history, as I said, it really is a, an attraction that is so rich in history, closely connected to Walt, one of the last attractions that he personally supervised and just opened a few months after his passing and is an attraction that you can find at many Disney parks, all in each one of them a different version around the world. It is one of those attractions that I absolutely love and I could have gone on for probably hours sharing the details and the history because there's so much, but I tried to give you a little bit of a, uh, a shorter version. If you're interested in learning more, I definitely encourage you to do some research and take a look at all the details because there's just so much, there are so many stories, so much I could share about this and perhaps we might cover it in a uh, future episode of the Imagineer podcast. But at this point, I would love to transition over and take you with me for a ride on Pirates of the Caribbean. We're going to experience the most recent version, which I recorded in September of 2018. So you'll hear the most recent version as of this podcast recording of Pirates of the Caribbean at the Magic Kingdom. We'll walk through the Castillo del Moro together, board our boats, and head back in time to the time of the pirates. As with other binaural 360-degree audio, this is something that is best experienced with headphones or uh, over, I should say over-the-ear headphones or in-ear earbuds, but still, as I always say, if you're in your car uh, listening through speakers, you're still going to get a great audio experience. So no matter which piece of audio equipment you choose to use, um, just sit back and relax and let's journey together through Pirates of the Caribbean at the Magic Kingdom.
dentro del barco y cuiden a los niños.
And with that, we close out episode 34 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you enjoyed this particular episode covering another classic attraction at Disney. Again, Pirates of the Caribbean is something that is not just a part of the Disney culture, but is part of our American culture because, and even the world culture, because everybody knows Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's one of those things that uh, no matter if you go to Disney once, if you go to Disney every year, if you go to Disney multiple times a year or if you've even never been to disney you know pirates of the caribbean it's just one of those things that is a classic and that everybody knows as being associated with disney um one of those real classic disney attractions but i want to hear from you how do you feel about pirates of the caribbean and especially what are your thoughts on some of the changes that have taken place over the years which version of pirates of the caribbean is your favorite how many have you been on have you been on the version at disneyland at the magic kingdom at Disneyland Paris, Tokyo, or even Shanghai. You can let me know in several ways. You can either send me an email at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me a direct message on any of our social media channels, which include Facebook and Instagram at Imagineer Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Imagineer Audio. And I would encourage you to join our Facebook community, our Facebook group, which is the Imagineer Podcast Disney fan community. And if you would like to leave your thoughts and feedback in a voicemail, I would encourage you to call the Imagineer Podcast Listener Voicemail Service, which you can call by dialing 516-406-8376. So again, you can leave your thoughts in a voice message, which I would love to play on a future episode of this show by calling and leaving your message at 516 406 8376. And of course, if there's anything that I can do to help to make this show and this community a better place for you, please be sure to reach out. Let me know. You can send me an email, send me a direct message. You can reach out to me in any of those ways I mentioned earlier. I would love to hear your thoughts and uh, love to give you an opportunity to just share with me how I can help to make the Imagineer podcast community a better place for you. Of course, if you don't already subscribe to the Imagineer podcast, please do so. Whether you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, on Podbean, on Spotify, there are so many podcast channels where you can subscribe to us. And if you have a particular episode that you would love, one of the best things that you can do is to please share out the podcast, whether you share out your favorite episode, share out the podcast as a whole, you can share it on Facebook, on Instagram, through Instagram stories, on Twitter, uh, whatever you prefer to use for social media, or just by connecting to your friends one on one to share out the podcast does a tremendous service to help us to grow our podcast community, which has been growing very quickly. So I thank all of you who have been sharing out the podcast. And if you would take just a minute, 30 seconds, however long it takes to leave us a rating and a review in the iTunes store, especially, or even on Facebook, that also does a lot to help us to grow our podcast and lets iTunes especially know that this is a podcast community that others are enjoying. And it helps to also show for those who might discover the podcast, what the podcast is all about, and just leave your thoughts um, about this podcast. Again, it does a lot to help us to grow our podcast channel. As always, as I said earlier, if there's anything I could do to help make this podcast a better community for you, please let me know. And as always, as I always like to close out every podcast episode, please remember that it really is possible to make your dreams come true. All it takes is the courage and the work to just get started today. Think about what your dream ultimately is and what would be that first step. You know, whenever you uh, 
climb a mountain, you have to start at the very base. You start with that single step. And while the peak might look very far away, if you take it one step at a time, you'd be amazed how quickly you get to your ultimate destination. And it really is the journey that makes uh, all the fun. So go out there, have fun, create happiness for yourself, do everything you can to accomplish your dreams. And remember, as always, that quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you as always. And I look forward to seeing you in a future episode of the Imagineer podcast. This is what we call New Orleans Square. And here's a picture of it from the riverfront as it will look when it's finally finished. And all these little streets are going to be very intriguing, little shops and things, and people can wander around in there. And then in here, we have a special attraction. We call it the uh, Blue Bayou Lagoon. And people are going to get on a boat here and ride through the lagoon and then as they get around here, we're going to take them down a waterfall and take them back into the past, into the days of the, the pirates, you know, where they, the whole Caribbean area was full of pirates and they were always sacking towns and things. And you believe in pirates, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, you want to see some? Love to. Right over here. We'll meet them.